Today on the Women Mind the Water Artemis series, I'm speaking with Jayashree Patel, who's written a children's book about the transformational journey of water. Originally from New Zealand, Jayashree now lives in Texas. The inspiration for her book, One Drop, Endless Ripples, came from watching icicles melt. Those drops of water transported Jayashree back to the beaches of her native New Zealand. The Women Mind the Water podcast series engages artists in conversation about their work and explores their connection with the ocean. Through their stories, Women Mind the Water hopes to inspire and encourage action to protect the ocean and her creatures. I'm very happy to welcome Jayashree Patel to the Art of It series podcast. Jayashree worked in the public service, nonprofit, and corporate sectors before moving to Texas from her native New Zealand. After a snowstorm, Jayashree found herself transfixed by melting icicles. She connected the journey of a drop of water in Texas to New Zealand. Jayashree imagined that a book from the perspective of a drop of water could transport children on their own journey and along the way, they might learn how precious a resource water is. Welcome, Jayashree. I am looking forward to hearing you talk about water and the inspiration that comes from it. Let's begin by having you tell listeners something about New Zealand and your life there. I want to say that I have been lucky enough to visit New Zealand and found it a magical place. Thank you so much for, for inviting me, Pam. I'm really excited to be here. So New Zealand is surrounded by water because we're in the South Pacific, the bottom of nowhere in the, in the ocean. Um, and so everywhere that, that we, we turn, no matter if you live in the city or in the countryside or at the beach or even in the middle of the country, you will have water and mountains, rivers, beaches, somewhere close by. So it was it's um, something that, that I... I I knew when I when I was there, but when I away from it, I really remember now how incredibly uh, precious that was to kind of be amongst amongst nature as much as we are in New Zealand. So yeah, it's exciting. So because only a small portion of Texas lies along the Gulf of Mexico, I would characterize much of the state as hot and dry. How have you been able to adapt to such a place, given that it is so different from New Zealand? Yeah, I, it's taken a, quite a lot of adjustment for me. And um, we've, we're living in Austin. So Austin's pretty good about sort of keeping greenery and, and, and lots of nature walk tracks and things like that here. But it, it's, been a, it's been quite an experience. I think that, um, I think that it's, it's flat, which was the first thing we all noticed. <laughs> Because like it's like where are the hills and where are the mountains and there there isn't much of that here, and so it, it has been a, a real adjustment for us I think to kind of um, to explore some somewhere that's quite different and the heat is very different here as well right so, right so I think that part of writing this book was sort of me just come, you know becoming at one with where I am now and then kind of going, I can still explore and let's do it from here, from where I am and let's see how that works. So, okay. yeah. You're right that water droplets from melting icicles transported you from Texas to New Zealand. How did you choose this perspective that you did of telling the journey from the point of view of a single drop of water? 
Yeah, um, I was part of a, a writing group actually, and, and it, the the initial parts of the story came because I the prompt was limitless possibilities, and I liked that idea of of like well, where does this where does this one drop of water go? Because when I saw after the Texas snowstorm and I saw the icicles melting, I was like, well, okay, so now now it's just going to go on on its merry way and 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 go somewhere. Where does it go? And so it kind of. Um, yeah, I thought it was interesting to just sort of, sort of explore that. And then once I started to explore it, I was like, wow, <laughs> it kind of goes everywhere. And, and it's quite remarkable. So um, in, in a way, once I started following that, that little trail of just a spark of an idea, it just took me took me in ways that I didn't expect myself. You know, I, I, I didn't know where the story was going to end up. And that it was even going to be a story so it was just interesting I think it just started with a question of where do the icicle droplets go. <laughs> Recently I interviewed another children's book author Noemi Knight. She wrote a book about the critically endangered Maui dolphin. There are several of these dolphins found only in New Zealand illustrated in your book. Noemi worked as an elementary school teacher in the U.S. before moving abroad where travel restrictions prevented her from working. Noemi channeled her energies into writing Papato, the Maui Dolphin. Although you didn't previously work as a school teacher, there are similarities between your journeys. How did the idea for writing a children's book evolve? Yeah, so um, I don't know that I actually thought about writing a children's book until I had written it. And then I was like, oh, this, is, this could be a children's book. And so... Um, I, I think that it came, like I said before, it came with the idea and then and then me following that idea and, and where does it take me. And um, and at the time, I had been also shopping for um, books for my nephew and niece's uh, baby, and I couldn't find anything that really resonated in terms of what I would want to share with and read to, uh, you know, um, it, it, my grandchildren. And so I, I kind of was like exploring all of that all at the same time. And the book kind of, you know, the story sort of came to life um, on about three pages, I think. I think I scribbled down uh, what I was what I was thinking and, and writing. And so um, it wasn't so much that I, I thought that I wanted to be a children's writer, but it was like I wanted to say something, what it was it that I was trying to say and how was I exploring that through that voice of one drop of water. And so... Yeah, it kind of evolved. It was an evolving um, journey of, of becoming a, a children's book author, I think. Noemi told me that there's a formula for writing children's books. So I learned that they are limited to 32 pages in length. So after you realized that you were telling a children's story, how did you find out what you needed to do to turn that into meet the criteria of a children's book? Yeah, so good question. So I had actually been part of a, a, a program called Self-Publishing School for a few years, um, thinking I was going to write an, a non-fiction for adults, actually, and that never quite worked out because it just didn't quite resonate. And so I had access to, to um, uh, publishers and authors who, who had been through the process, and so I tapped back into that, to that resource and asked them the questions and they had the answers and I was like, oh, this is perfect. So um, yes, there is a formula. Um, 32 pages is common. I don't think that it's necessarily a rule, but um, it has to be in multiples of four because whenever you publish a book, you have to be able to count the pages. And so, yeah, there were all these little details that we kind of needed to know. And I engaged a 
book formatter who was very experienced and so she also knew the page sizes you know so that we knew what artwork to commission and and all of that sort of stuff so so there's a lot of detail that goes into taking a story and, and making it into a book and so um so I found the right people to ask the questions. I got the answers that I needed. And then I've, I've done lots of projects and things before. And so I was able to kind of like use my project, project managing skills to kind of just make sure that we all were on the same page and got those, got all of those details um, along the way to make sure that the end product was what, what, what it was that we were looking for. So yeah. You said you got a, a page formatter, but what about language and concepts and turning something that might be a big idea into something that's digestible and engaging for a younger age group? Yeah, I, so there are a couple of things. One is I, I um, had access to an editor who, um, who gave me some, uh, you know, some advice. I was pretty close on my first draft, though. I think I was quite lucky because I didn't go down that whole rabbit hole of trying to say too much. It was really how do I want to say it in the in the least amount of words that had the biggest impact. So I was already kind of thinking about how they sounded and and what the flow of the words was like. So um, there was that step, and then I then I tested it with a number of uh, teachers and things that the people that I knew as well, um, just to kind of get their feedback of like what does this sound like to you? Does this sound like it could work? And um, yeah, so I sort of did a few a few things. I mean, I wasn't I wasn't fully into the whole publishing um, industry, if you like. I was really on the outskirts, so I was just tapping into to the networks that I knew of um, to test that. And so, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a journey. But I, I'm pretty I'm a pretty good writer anyway. And so this is just another element of me exploring creative writing. Um, and yeah, it was interesting. It was an interesting process. So I have a background originally in science, and what mm -hmm. I what I saw was the water cycle. So uh, would you tell listeners what the water cycle is? And um, I believe it's the basis for your story. Yeah, so um, you're going to find this funny, Pam, but I actually didn't write the book from a science perspective, from, from a water cycle perspective. I just wrote it trying to follow where the water went. And it turned out that it does go through a cycle naturally anyway. And so it wasn't until um, my editor pointed out that actually, you know, fix the last, do the last scene that goes back into the clouds and, you, and you've got the water cycle that's, that's kind of in the whole thing. And I went, yeah, of course. And so um, uh, basically uh, the, the water cycle that's depicted in this story is the, the one that's impacted by weather, right? So, you know, you have the cold, the, the, the um, the water droplets in the clouds and then it becomes really cold and it becomes like snow and um, and so uh, and, and it it becomes a physical form on land as it melts again in, in the sun and we see it as we normally would see it you know physically ourselves and around and then um, and then you have you have it sort of returning back into the clouds you know when when it um, when it and I'm not going to have the science word right. What is it? Um, evaporates. Uh, okay, right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it kind of, it, it sort of, it wasn't until people who read the book told me that it was about the water cycle, I went, oh, yeah, it is. 
but it was kind of by accident, I think. Um, but you had another uh, wonderful accident, if you will. We didn't talk about the illustration. Mm. How did that come to be? Yeah, so when I, when I wrote the book, when I wrote the story, it wasn't a book, it was a story and it was on a few pages. I could visualize in my head and that's because the context that I grew up in was in New Zealand, right? And so the story starts off in, in the moment in time where I saw the icicles melt and that was here in Texas after the, the snowstorm. And in, the, in, in my imagination, it kind of ended up, you know, in, in sort of a lot of greenery and, and water and, and the ocean. And I knew that I wanted somebody who kind of, who had a New Zealand, um, who was able to kind of depict New Zealand in the, in the illustrations. And I also, I also wanted somebody who could depict it through art in a physical form and not necessarily by painting and not necessarily through graphic art. So I, I, I sort of wanted, those are the things that I kind of knew really early on. And it turned out, I remembered that um, a few years, a couple of years back, I had gone to an event here in Texas and it was called a chalk walk. And at that chalk walk was this young artist, very young, she was a teenager actually, and she'd done this little, she'd done this amazing uh, picture of, of a New Zealand scene. And I knew it was New Zealand because it had a kiwi and it had the shark and it had, you know, blue penguins and, and the ocean. And I was like, oh, wow. And I was really, really excited because, of course, I was in the middle of Texas. And here I am seeing this kind of like New Zealand image staring back at me. And so I, I managed to ask around the local art community here and um, find out who she was. And I, I said to her, look, I've got this proposal. What do you think? You know, and I read her the book and she was really into it. And, and what I didn't actually know until after I had engaged or kind of during the process was that she had an interest in marine biology anyway. And so, um, you know, I, the one thing that I actually knew that I wanted, she needed to be able to do was depict water and nature scenes. And so I had seen enough of her work to know that she could do that. And so um, the fact that she has that, that natural interest in her artwork anyway was, was a bonus. And, and her, her, the, the, um, the, the New Zealand connection for her is that her father is from New Zealand and so a lot of her artwork has little hints of New Zealand and it's funny because I, I spot it straight away as soon as I see it and she goes oh so many people don't even notice I mean well I do. <laughs> right so why don't you share a page or two from the book and tell us how the images and words came together. Yeah sure I'd love to. So um, here's one here and um, it's, it's a riverbank amphitheater. Uh, can you see that? Yes, very so, well. So the, um, sorry, that lighting's pretty bad. So this, this particular um, picture, it really started the words, um, I'll read the words out to you so you can sort of see. Floating free, flowing, dancing downstream, Riverbank amphitheatre, trees and grass bowing and swaying to our wind song. And the words in this in this piece was really about the, the sounds that you hear and that kind of the whole musical metaphor and 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 it being a riverbank amphitheatre. And, and it was really kind of it's inviting the reader to think about when you go to the river, what do you what sounds do you hear? What is it kind of like sound? What does it feel like? And so I wanted to depict that in the words and 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 um and the artwork and um, Alexandra came back and she put she put this 
she put um, uh, this, and now the, the bird's going to... Uh, Isn't that a mockingbird? It's a mockingbird, yes, yeah, sorry, it's a mockingbird. And she put it on, on here on the edges like it was singing to the whole river. And so I was like, yes, that's perfect. That's kind of like, um, that's exactly, and the mockingbirds here are just so amazing and have such a beautiful song. And so I really love that idea and the fact that that, you know, that you have the, the grass kind of bowing and swaying to the wind in, in the background and so forth. So there's a lot of life in this in this particular painting. And um, and the, the formatter who, who, who put the words on kind of like, um, she made sure that it was flowing down the river as well. Right. And so, so the words themselves, the placement is very much flowing the story. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it was more about exploring, the scene is about kind of like thinking about when you go into a river and, and regardless of whether or not you're near the ocean, you'll be near a river. <laughs> at some point you know what do you hear and what do you see and so we kind of just and this so these were scenes that were typical of texas right so and there's a blue crane here as well um so i had never seen blue 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 herons i think they're called right. and i had never seen them uh, in new zealand they're, they're obviously a native in in the u.s i think so so she put that in there as well which um those are magnificent birds that kind of have really um that we see quite a lot where we are right. in Texas. So, yeah, so that was um, that was one that I, I get quite excited about because it's really, and I, I talk to the children about that. What do you notice when you go down to the river? What does it sound like? You know, what what can you feel? Um, and so, yeah, that was, that was quite exciting. Is there an overarching message that you're trying to convey to the children? Yeah, I think I think that message is to explore, to, to notice, go out in nature, um, notice where you are, where there's water, there's life, and and um, and you will see such amazing things. And 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 explore. This is what our world is there for exploring. And and there's this whole place that's outside of the classroom and outside of the home that is in the environment that we're all a part of that is just waiting for you just to just be a part of it and to kind of like notice notice where we are and um and how water interacts with with everything around it right it kind of you know it it it's it impacts on on the plants that are growing and the animals that are by the by the places that you see so um yeah, yeah, I think that yeah. if you can if you connect with water, then uh, we connect with our whole world and, and it's it's just everyone would be happier and and um, I think it, you've got a pretty long way to answering my last question, which is uh, someone who grew up surrounded by water, I'd like you to tell people why if, even if they don't live near the ocean, they should care about it. Yeah, I think look, there's um there's a scene in here, and I, I wanted to share that a little bit too, is that no matter where you are, no matter where you are, that river that is near you will be wanting to find the ocean, right? And so um, the world, where there is life, there is water. Where there's water, there's life. There, the 75% of our world is made up of of water it's just incredible now that i'm kind of like looking at the science behind it i'm just like wow okay this is something i hadn't really thought of before actually of how significant the impact of water is and in, 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 in all about our life 
And so um, I think that we can't take that for granted. I think that we until and, and you don't want to you don't want to be in that place where where or it's not there then you kind of like think, oh, maybe I should have taken more care of it or maybe I should have appreciated it more. Um, appreciate, appreciate what's there, what's near you and, and go out there and explore it because it's just, it's got so much richness in it. And there are so many lessons in nature, I think, that we can learn as a human race. I hope listeners have found Jay Shree's story refreshing and a chance to learn something new about water. I'd like to remind listeners that I'm speaking with Jayashree Patel for the Women Mind the Water podcast series. The series can be viewed on womenmindthewater.com. An audio-only version of this podcast is available on the Women Mind the Water website, on iTunes, and other sites. Women Mind the Water is grateful to Jane Rice for the use of her song, Women of Water. All rights for the Women Mind the Water name and logo belong to Pam Ferris Olsen. This is Pam Ferris Olson.